probably one of my career highlights was having um, our work described as batshit crazy mortgage ads. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Really excited to share today's episode and today's guests with you. If you're in the UK marketing scene, definitely the UK financial services marketing scene, you probably already know Abba and the work she's doing with the Habito brand and business. If not, I feel privileged to introduce you to her. She is someone who um, I'm always interested to see what they're up to. And it was great to hear a little bit more about how she thinks about things. She and the Habito brand are behind some of the the most provocative work out there in the UK market, in my opinion, right now. They're doing some things that you'll hear about that um, you know, really push the envelope. We talk a lot about how one of the biggest risks in modern marketing is just being ignored because what you're saying isn't interesting. They do not have that problem, I will put it that way. So it was really interesting to hear her take on how do you be provocative in the right way? How do you tie that to brand purpose? And then the real meat of the conversation that I wanted to get into with her was around how she creates a productive and effective creative process, both internally and then with the agency partners that she works with. She has this great relationship with an agency that she's used for a while. And so I wanted to dig into that and hear um, you know, how she briefs them, how she works with them, how she gets the most out of the creative process and steers that in the right direction for the brand and business. So really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I certainly did. Uh, let me know what you think after you hear it. Cheers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Scratch. I am really excited about this episode. I've gotten to know today's guest a little bit over the last few months, I guess. Um, I think we started crossing paths as I was leaving the fintech and financial services world. And obviously, that's something that you are getting deeper and deeper into with all the work that you're doing. But allow me to briefly introduce and then let her do her introduction proper justice about her role, her story, and what she's up to these days. Abba Newberry, Chief Marketing Officer of Habito. Abba, how you doing? Thanks so much for joining us today. Eric, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm Abba, I'm the CMO of Habito. And if you've never heard of Habito, A, I'm doing quite a bad job. Um, <laughs> but we are a UK-based fintech um, in the world of mortgages, which is uh, probably the most difficult part um, of financial services to disrupt and we're most definitely trying to do that so we are what in the UK is called a mortgage broker but also a mortgage lender uh, so we invent uh, mortgages um, for the kind of the squiggly careers and the different view that we have on the future than we maybe did 100 years ago um, and we're also a home buying platform so we'll do everything um, associated with buying your house all the boring stuff like the legal work and the surveys and um, and all of that. Yeah, it's funny. I was um, my sister also lives here in London, and I was at her place for dinner last night. And she's in the process of hopefully buying a home here in London. And she was on the chat with Habito. Um, so funny, small world. But so far, she's loved the experience. Hopefully, she gets the place, and that all works out. Um, so, Abba, before we get into kind of the meat of the conversation today, maybe you can just tell people the kind of one to two minute origin story of Abba Newberry, how you got to where you are. Um, and kind of what your career progression has looked like in the world of marketing. 
Wow, the, the brand of Abenibri. Yeah, so I am not a classically trained marketeer at all. Um, I studied classics at university, couldn't get a job, um, so stumbled into the world of media and worked for, I guess, 15 or so years in media agencies, so investing um, uh, clients' advertising budgets. Managed to create myself a little bit of a hybrid role between, I guess, traditionally what you call account planning and and media planning, um, and then um, very randomly went to go and work for Rupert Murdoch um, at News Corp, uh, uh, starting by running his in-house ad agency and then becoming head of strategy there, which is really the ultimate jack-of-all-trades uh, job. Um, and then, yeah, stumbled across Dan Hegarty, who's the founder of uh, Habito, very you know, underwhelmed by even the prospect of entering fintech. Met Dan, he blew me away. Um, I begged him for a job and I'm still there four years later. <laughs> Amazing. So I know that we we talked about focusing in on, you know, kind of creative process and particularly the partnership of the creative process. You know, you've had a great relationship with Uncommon, the agency you're working at working with and Habito, but also have worked with in the past. And so I'm really curious to get your thoughts on that, but maybe to kind of set the scene for um, people who haven't heard of Habito and just to call out some of the outputs that the partnership and the process that you've created um, has produced. Can you talk a little bit about some of the highlights or some of the work that you're really proud of that you've done at Habito since you've been there? Yeah, I guess if you, if you haven't seen any of our work, um, do head to uh, Habito on YouTube. Um, it's it's all there. Um, and yeah, I think I think probably one of my career highlights was having um, our work described as batshit crazy mortgage ads. <laughs> and I guess that's pretty much what we uh, what we do. So we have a very strong uh, we we, do, we have a very strong kind of purpose about setting people free from the hell of uh, mortgages. And that's kind of what our um, creative platform does. Um, it describes the kind of deepest, truest hell that customers have told us about what it's like to get a mortgage. Um, and then we kind of uh, resolve that. Um, and we do it in a ludicrous manner. So it's not, it, we do kill people um, uh, in our ads. Uh, they are animated. The deaths, the deaths are gruesome. Uh, think Rick and Morty for mortgages. Um, uh, but it very much resonates in customers' heads, maybe um, like your sister, Eric, where your head is like exploding in the process of getting a mortgage and you just wish it could all go away. <laughs> the other thing we do is also like um, explore human truths in the mortgage process that are a bit less um, less obvious. So I guess one of our most successful creative platforms is sex. Um, you can't get a mortgage unless you are over 18. So we get to explore that world a little bit. <clears throat> um, and um, one in 10 of our customers told us that they stopped having sex as a result of their previous mortgage process. Like it was so, it was so stressful. Um, and so, yeah, we've exploded that into one of our most successful creative platforms. So we've created a mortgage karma sutra, um, literally a karma sutra for mortgages. And uh, we've also created a uh, erotic novel uh, with a guy called Rocky Flintstone. If you've ever listened to the podcast, my dad wrote a porno, which was a mega hit um, in the UK. Um, he is the eponymous uh, dad of porno fame. And he wrote us an, an erotic novel. 
It's amazing. It's, you know, it's such a crowded space, all these mortgage lenders talking about sex. How did you manage to carve out, um, you know, your niche within that? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> uh, but I'm actually curious. So brand purpose gets talked about a lot. And actually Habito is one of the examples, particularly if I'm speaking to a UK audience that I use a lot of here is a brand that from an outsider's perspective seems and is very purpose-driven. They've identified a pain point within the world of their customer and they are striving to solve it. So it's not just about the product or even the experience. It's about the bigger picture um, problem they're trying to solve or change that they're trying to create in the world. I'm curious to get your thoughts on brand purpose because I think it's one of those things that everybody talks about but few people actually do well. Um, from your perspective, either at Habito or just your general perspective on the industry, what are the things that contribute to being able to do brand purpose well? I mean, that's such a good question. Right? It's the hottest topic in you know marketing at the moment, and you know purposeful um, marketing. Look, I'm I'm a huge evangelist of of purposeful marketing and purposeful businesses, and and doing the right thing. Problem is, doing the right thing can be really, really, really boring, or telling people that you're doing the right thing can be equally boring. And I think that's the real kind of art of a marketing director or a CMO or any kind of brand manager and, and working closely with your agency is how do you make what you care about something that is exciting, funny, interesting, stimulating so other people care about it? I mean, we've got a very uh, interesting moment right now, which is, you know, climate change being so like front and centre and, and, and real. But most businesses who talk about, you know, their B Corp status or their kind of climate change activism, they do it in a way that's like very hard to to love. It's a bit like charity advertising. You feel like guilty for not choosing them, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be a passionate advocate. So I think it's a really big challenge to make purpose interesting. Yeah. And the other element of it is, Often, if you're doing it right, and definitely if you're doing it in a differentiated way, like Habito is, and there's other brands you could throw out there as examples, you're resonating with a lot of people, but you're probably also, you know, maybe turning some people off, no pun intended. Uh, how do you think about that when it comes to brand purpose and particularly having such a, let's say, pointed brand purpose and then? Uh, breakthrough or differentiated way that you go to market communicating that purpose? Do you consciously think about, well, maybe this will alienate some people or maybe this will, you know, get some people not interested in us? Because I think that, you know, you think of an example like Nike and, and what they did with Colin Kaeper Kaepernick a couple of years back, which people always talk about, they definitely um, alienated some people. Do you think about that consciously or, you know, what's your thought process around both sides of the purpose and differentiation equation? I don't I never consciously try to get people to hate us. Um I actually view not liking our ads a kind of litmus test of how successful they're being in terms of like impacting people. If you think most of advertising just like washes over us, we've seen it, we don't give a shit, we're not gonna complain about it, we're not gonna talk about it. The fact that people will complain that they don't like our ads, I'm like, yes. Um, because for all the people that complain, there's, you know, one one complaint is 20 others who who love and the people who love are less likely to tell you they love. 
then the people who hate are likely to tell you they hate. So, yeah, like if you can get people to engage in your ads so much as they say, I really don't like your ads. That's quite that's quite good. Do you get some complaints? I think Twitter DMs and customer service emails. (laughs) In 2021, we were the most complained about ad, um, but we've been overtaken uh, by Tesco uh, Hmm. this this year with their Christmas ad, uh, who have a lot of anti-vaxxers complaining about uh, Father Christmas showing his COVID passport. Oh, wow. uh, To enter Heathrow Airport to give the children the presents. It was supposed to... It's supposed to be funny, but you know, anti-vaxxers are are pretty uh, pr- pretty vehement in their cause, right? Uh, I haven't seen that yet. I, it's a great. Um, it's a, I love I it. It's a great ad. It's 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 set to uh, set to uh, to Queen, um, and yeah, it's all about like not letting. You know, we've had two bad Christmases. Let's go for it this Christmas. I think it's a. I think it's yeah, a great yeah. piece of creative work. Yeah, cool. It's interesting what you said of you don't intentionally try to get people to hate you. But in a way, maybe not, um, maybe not defined that way. But in a way, what you're talking about is you do need to do something that is gonna piss some people off in order for it to matter and in order for it to break through. Which I totally agree with. In today's day and age, there's so much noise and there's so much advertising that is, it's just beige. I'd call it like it's just like it just kind of is out there and nobody pays attention to it unless they're forced to and certainly nobody talks about it or takes the time to say they love it or that they hate it. So in a way that's actually an interesting um an interesting prompt for people to think about. I had a client at one point who used to say in every creative pitch I want to see one idea that makes me uncomfortable. And I always like that. And I throw that out there because I think that's a good actionable thing that people can do is you need something that stands out. And if it stands out, it's probably going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. So whether you say it explicitly or not, I think that's a good thing to work into the modern marketers tool book of if you're comfortable all the time, you're probably producing beige advertising, which might feel okay when it's going out, but it's not going to, it's not going to deliver the differentiation of the marketing results that you're looking for. Totally. And, and hello, Habito our creative platform um i remember very vividly we were in uncommon our creative agencies i'm going to say meeting room but um they were as startupy as as we were basically so when i say meeting room it was like a sort of it was a meeting room but you know there were too many of us crammed in there and it was all a bit crazy and they presented us this idea and we all left romney who's um uh, vp marketing at habito dan founder and me we left and we basically all just turned around to each other and went, um, shit. I, th- I mean, I think we're going to have to do this, but like, and it was a Friday afternoon. So we kind of went home and reflected over the weekend and then came back to each other and went, yeah, I think we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to do this. And we were all terrified. And it was also one of the, the those ideas, which was always going to live or die in the execution like the craft of it, if it didn't make people laugh. Um, and if you if you do look at our ads, like the, f- the first ad in the series is a guy um, where his mortgage basically comes and steals all his money and it starts like ripping the, the wallet out of his, you know, and all the credit cards out of his wallet. It rips a gold tooth out of his mouth and then it rips his soul from his body. So we always say to ourselves, we've got like a matrix, which is like, 
Is it a serious issue? Like feeling like you're being robbed blind by your mortgage? Yes, tick. Like, is it super provocative to actually go to people? Do you think you're being robbed blind by your mortgage? Answer, yes. And then we take it to ludicrous, which is clearly no one gets their soul stolen from their body by their mortgage. So it's got to get to that like level of people going, oh, yeah, they're, they're taking the piss. They're not like they're not trying to scare us. This is this is this is funny. Um, and, and that's all in execution and pace and like comedic timing. And as a little startup, doing anything in animation is terrifying because you're like basically sticking out into the ether um, uh, for uh, the animation team to like work on it for a week which you know is kind of costing you tens of thousands and tens of thousands. And then it comes back and you're like, what if I hate it? I mean, we, we luckily have Andy Baker, um, who's part of the Adult Swim team, who is the brains behind Rick and Morty. So we're, we're in good hands. But yeah, like every moment of making a Habito ad is, is consummately terrifying. Here at Rival, we've partnered with The Test, a powerful consumer research platform to produce our own proprietary research on challenger marketing trends, and you'll hear more about that soon. But in the meantime, each week, we're going to highlight a report from a test that adds context to each episode and the guests that we have on. So for today's conversation with ABBA, we wanted to highlight a test's report on UK mortgage and moving trends. And in this report, a test has found that in 2021, home moving hit its highest rate since 2007, and the pace doesn't look likely to let up anytime soon. This trend is driven by younger demographics with one in five 18 to 40 year olds currently planning to move home and saving up for a down payment. To find out more from this report, head on over to askatest.com. Here you can also run a free survey to access 110 million consumers in 49 markets to remove the guesswork from your business growth. So it sounds like a really good segue into talking about the creative partnership, creative process that you've built. But I want to ask you one question before we go in there, because I think it'll be really relevant to the people listening. You have in Dan as a founder CEO, and I've only met him once, but I think organizations take on the DNA of their CEO. So you can kind of tell what he's about just by seeing what Habito does. You have someone who is seem seemingly willing to back and support doing this type of thing. He walked to that meeting and felt the same way that you did. I think a lot of people listening, especially if they're in a bigger organization or maybe aren't in the CMO seat where they can walk into a CEO and say, hey, I want to do this and get a yes. How would you th- how should people think about trying to push the envelope a little bit, do things that are more provocative if it's not as easy for them or not as natural for them to get that buy-in from their boss or C-suite? I mean that that's I mean that's such a good question. I, I'm inc- incredibly lucky with with Dan, as you say, Eric, that I think there's two reasons why I'm incredibly lucky with Dan. One is he's an ex-musician, uh, so um, he understands the power of brand. Uh, there's no such concept as the best band, the best music. It's the best kind of package of the whole, the best live concerts, the best album cover. So if you're in that world, I think you kind of understand the role of kind of brand um, uh, within that. And I guess... The other thing I'm really lucky with is is Dan came from Wonga. Um, and whatever you think about Wonga as a business, and there were many, obviously, things in the last days of Wonga were not good. That that was, A, one of the pioneering brands of fintech, certainly um, in the UK. But also a, also they began, they began with brands. 
um, and found themselves like very fast growing, very successfully with an inc- like a brand that literally went from naught to 100 in, you know, nine months. And he saw he certainly had kind of recognized um, the sort of power of like winning hearts and minds um, as a fintech business. Um, that said, which is to answer your real question, we're a VC backed businesses, a business and VCs, no disrespect, they do not like marketeers who want to spend on TV campaigns. They do not want like marketeers who want to buy, you know, a big agency's fantastic creative campaign. They want you to hack your way to growth. So my board are as anti what I'm doing as as Dan is pro. And I think what we've managed to do is because every single thing that we do is based in a customer insight. So customers tell us they think they're being robbed blind. Customers say that they're so, you know, they're so bamboozled by juggle, their heads are going to explode. Uh, you know, they tell us that, you know, they feel so beaten up by the process, they feel like a human pinata. Like, we're expressing what people really think, and we're doing it very creatively and very artistically. Um, and yeah, so, you know, when when I go and present to the board, we're going to make a mortgage Kama Sutra, they're like, you've you've lost it again, um, ABBA. But then when you show them the work and you tell them that one in 10 of our customers stopped having sex in their previous mortgage application, and you tell it, tell them it's being done by Noma Bar, one of the greatest graphic designers in the world, and you show them its artistic beauty, they kind of like can't not get behind you. So the art of the sale is is a, is a, is a lot of what I think we have to work on as, as marketeers. Um, and I think a lot of us are guilty of sitting behind the numbers. What's the return on investment going to be? What's the cost per lead? You know, blah, blah, blah. No one's going to, you can't possibly evaluate a great creative idea on a projected cost per lead. You've got to sell the story first. Yep. Yep. I love that. And I specifically love the idea of rooting the concept in a, in a customer insight, because that's not that's not debatable. It's like, hey, this is a problem that our customers have that we can relate to through the advertising that we do. Um, so yeah, that's a topic that comes up. So I wanted to make sure that I asked you that question. All right. So let's talk about the creative process and particularly how to build an effective, fruitful partnership with um, agencies or with creative partners. So um, I'd love to hear the story of, I know you brought Uncommon with you into Habito, but Let's kind of take it from the top. How do you think about finding and working with a creative partner? If that's a creative agency or somebody externally, or potentially, I guess it could even be people within your business. But where does your where does your head start with that with that process? What what matters most within it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't bring uh, I did work with Uncommon, um, who were an agency called Gray um, when I was at uh, News Corp. So I didn't kind of bring Uncommon with me into Habitat we already had a creative agency and we had a creative um uh campaign and I I courted a lot of creative agencies around London and I I would I would very highly recommend doing that like just as part of your job on like a an annual basis just go and see some people and and get their opinion on your brand because most people have have got quite strong opinions on your brand and will you know take a 20 minute coffee with you and you never know where that inspiration is going to uh, come from. 
Um, and I think I obviously come from creative agencies and kind of an agency background. So I'm inherently biased as the talent of an agency. And I, and I truly believe in, in the craft of a, of a creative agency. So I have like a horror attack when people saying, oh, we're making our first TV air, we're doing it internally. And I'm like, um, just because, you know, agencies are really good at their job. Um, I think you've got to find the right agency and you're going to have to kiss a few frogs. And ultimately you need to have a team that you can trust. And yes, Eric, you're very, I'm very lucky that like the founding team at Uncommon with the team I'd worked with previously at News... And I knew that they were going to be uncompromising. I didn't expect them to be quite as brilliant um, as they ended up um, being. But I kind of like knew I was going to get something that was going to really scare me, which I think is really important. Um, And I guess a lot of what I learned in an agency and like you'll hear this from agencies all the time. Clients can't brief. Clients can't brief. You know, we, we need a better brief. And I think that if I have one skill, it's briefing the um, agency because I'm used to being briefed myself. Um, and the art of a good brief is to give them enough direction, enough guardrails to not like, go totally off the rails, but also give them total uh, creative freedom. And I guess one more thing that was really helpful and, and the, um, the CSO um, at Uncommon is, is the very brilliant uh, Lucy Jameson. She asked a really amazing question of Dan uh, when we started the process, which um, doesn't sound like it um, on reflection. But she asked him what is his favourite ad of all time? You know, and classic, you know, CEO answer is I don't watch ads. And they're like, come on, like no one has not seen an ad in their whole life. Right. So we sent him away for a weekend. Um, And I guess like founders of startup businesses are more inherently linked as you described Eric to the to the DNA of the brand than than maybe you know a classic FTSE 100 CEO who's thinking more about the numbers Dan came back with this ad and uh, yes go and google it because it's it's possibly one of the most inappropriate ads ever shown on British TV only been shown 10 times so kind of extraordinary that he picked it um and it's also like very zeitgeisty because it's um it's sort of a precursor to Brexit. Um, so it's a, the CEO of Black Current Tango gets a letter from a French exchange student who says, I tried to Black Current Tango, didn't like it that much. The CEO basically goes nuts. He strips off his shirt. You know, he marches to the White Cliffs of Dover. He declares war with France. There's Harrier jump jets. It's pretty awesome, pretty awesomely inappropriate. But it told me a lot about Dan. It said that we could get angry. We could use the anger, the emotion of anger, um, which is incredibly powerful in advertising and not something that not a lever that many people have the courage to pull. Well, uh, have to include that in the show notes. And I've got my homework. I've got the Christmas ads I need to watch and definitely that one as well. Um, So getting down into kind of the nitty gritty, I'm curious, is there anything that you do differently with Uncommon as a creative partner, um, either in the process or how you work with them, or, you know, you mentioned, and I love that approach of how to brief because, you know, actually that, uh, 
I haven't thought about it as much on the creative agency side, but it comes up a lot when we're talking to clients about how to use influencers, because I think sometimes with influencers, the uh, natural pull from the client side is to, well, tell them exactly what you want them to say about your product. And I'm like, the whole reason of why you're getting them on, involved is because they know the audience, they know the platform, give them the opportunity to tell the most effective story, as long as it's within the guardrails of what needs to be said. But actually, a better way to think about it is, as long as it doesn't you know, go to the extreme of what can't be said. And much like that with a creative agency, they're there for a reason. They're there to bring the creativity, a different perspective, new ideas. So give them as much of that playing field as possible. But what else What else do you do differently in working with Uncommon as a creative agency? Um, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about the day-to-day, week-to-week, or within a campaign development, what it looks like. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, we are very lucky with Uncommon. We have a very um, kind of open relationship um, with them. So as I described, like doing animation for a small business without a big um, marketing budget is terrifying. So we started from the outset of uh, they showed me every piece of work the moment that they got it through. So from character design all the way through, I was seeing very, very rough work almost on a on a nightly uh basis um because we were working with a team in new york um or you know kind of first thing in the morning and so we were always kind of fee doing feedback all the time so there was never that thing which a lot of agencies do which is like four weeks of work and then you go reveal and then you're like oh i hate it um and i guess also what i did with that and i i can never thank uncommon enough for letting me do this um Dan still thinks I'm mad for doing it but like in our all hands every week I also showed all the business so whatever I saw the business saw um because everyone at Habito is a is a is a shareholder in the business so like the marketing campaign is you know is pretty fundamental to the um future share price of the business so everyone had an input everyone had a view um and it yeah we've just kind of got into a very open source way of uh doing things which i think builds trust a huge amount of trust trust that we're going to give them honest feedback trust that we're not going to like we don't micro do our feedback it's like oh we will only kind of feedback anything that we feel like is truly fundamental um and likewise they then do that don't do that set piece with us that goes you know the clients are stupid they don't understand creative work Keep them away from it until we go uh, to da. And I think that's been the secret of our success. I should, I should, you should uh, talk to Sam from um, Uncommon. He would be here, but they've just, uh, they've just won the British Airways um, account, um, which, as a small startup agency, uh, is keeping them <laughs> super busy. <laughs> I'm sure they've got a lot to do. Um... I mean, that's an interesting dynamic in itself. You know, now they've got a big client and I'm sure Habito is still important to them, but you know how, how it goes in terms of resources and attention and stuff like that. Um, I'm curious, this might be a tough question to answer, but do you have any advice for people if they feel like they're not getting the creativity 
that they want to see out of their agency. I, I mean, I know you mentioned at the beginning, I love the idea of just going to get coffee with different agencies just to see what's out there and see what people have to say. And that sometimes you have to kiss a lot of frogs. But if you've chosen your prince and you're kind of in with them, uh, but you feel like you're not getting what you need, are there options for how you can shake that up or try to generate more creativity besides just, hey, maybe you need another agency? Okay, so let me answer that question from from not working at Habitat from being in an agency. If you're not loving the work that your agency is producing, the chances are your agency aren't loving it too. Um, and working in an agency, all you want to do is produce amazing work, motivating works, you know, work that's going to drive your client's business. And yeah, sure, work that's going to win awards. So, you know, speaking honestly, I would have always much preferred uh, a client to come to me and going, I'm not loving it. Um, and be honest with me, then, you know, do the dramatic relationship breakup, call a pitch, nightmare, nightmare. So I think, yeah, I just I would always be honest with your agency. And if they don't respond well to that, then you are definitely uh, heading for a relationship breakup. Yeah. It's amazing how often the answer to how do you solve this people problem is just be honest with them. Just have the open and honest conversation, especially especially if you got a relationship already, because that means people's intent is going to be in the right place. They're going to want to work it out. Um, so I love that answer. Um, so what are you working on now? Anything interesting and exciting that you can talk about? It's a bit of a smile, so I know the answer is yes. Just a question of whether you can talk about it. Uh, I briefed our next Valentine's Day uh, campaign uh, yesterday. So I'm genuinely terrified about what I'm going to get back um, before uh, Christmas. Um, we did reject a campaign a year ago, uh, which was to make a sex toy called the Habito Rabito. So um, there are... <laughs> There are ideas that... Um, Who Did you reject it or did the board reject it? Who rejected it? I have to say, it was like um, one of those moments where I was like, I literally have got no... I just don't know whether it's a good idea. And I tried to like imagine like being a journalist or someone like opening your Habito Rabito in your office. And I was just like, I don't know whether it's funny or not. So I actually called Dan's wife, Jenny and said, like, pitched her the idea, and said, what do you think? And she's like, are you like a teenage boy? And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, it's not. It's not a good idea. So sometimes, actually, like, going to your mum or, like, somebody who doesn't work in your world to pitch an idea for is, like, helpful, because we can all get caught um, caught up in it. it. It is interesting, though. Um, you know, where do you draw the line? You need to be provocative, but not too provocative. And that's not a black and white thing. That's a gray. And oftentimes being on the inside, especially if you're in a creative role at an agency or on the client side, you might not have the best perspective on it. And I'll also tie this back to what you said about human insight to ground the idea for a campaign. I think you know having those gut checks, if it is your mom, if it is your boss's wife, maybe, depending on, on what the idea is or the situation that you're in, like real world people that don't get excited about the marketing idea for the marketing idea, 
they get excited about the idea for how it represents the brand or what it means to them as a consumer slash normal human being. Exactly. Um, and we've so all got that really provocative underutilized friend going to yeah. tell us that's, that's it, right? Yeah. Do you do any um, testing of the creative ideas? Actually, this is a whole other conversation we get into that we don't have time, but I don't know why it just occurred to me to ask today because I'm fascinated by how data is starting to play more of a role in the creative process. And there's obviously that tension of, it all comes back to that Henry Ford quote of, if you ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse instead of a car. So you need to be able to take those leaps that I think are um, wouldn't be supported by the testing necessarily. But I'm curious, I'm really curious actually to hear your response to this question. How do you use testing or data in the creative process at Habito? Um, good question. So we constantly research customers to get to those insights that then become the jumping off point for their creative platform. Um, we will research scripts in focus groups um, broadly to kind of gauge uh, whether it's resonating with that insight about, you know, stress or money or um, et cetera. We never research... Uh, storyboards or creative development in that sense um, and then we do a lot of uh, post-campaign testing or in-flight testing once the ad is finished so we use neuroscience um, to understand how campaigns are working we use system one um, to understand what um, responses we're triggering so system one are a research agency you have kind of eight emotional responses that kind of create powerful memories in people. So um, we use that approach, deliberately use that approach because they're pre they're predisposed to uh, love John Lewis Christmas ads. So they're like the harshest test we can get for a kind of death by mortgage um, uh, ad. So we never test to prove ourselves right. We kind of test to kind of destroy what we've done and see if we can do it better. Does that does that answer your question? And we make all sorts of changes. Like like we actually like we re-recorded our voiceover for Hell or Habito and turned the sound of hell um, down just because it was making people sit sit back too much. Like, oh and so that they weren't getting as much memory recall of Habito as they possibly could. We dialed that down a bit and then like we saw like Habito recall kind of jump up by 50%. So huh. that's so interesting though. I mean, it's such a, it's such a tough one. Like I honestly don't even really know what my answer would be because there's so much insight that can come from the data and from the testing, but at the same time, it can lead you in the direction of doing more beige work. If you just give people more of what they expect, which tends to be more of the same. Um, but I think if I'm if I'm getting this right, let me make sure I understand it. And maybe frame it up for the people listening. So the platform for the concepts comes from deep dive research, really strong human insights from your customers. The concepts, though, those are creative. Those aren't based on like okay, cool. And then the first iteration of like the script you test to see how that goes across, but not as much the visual component. And then you mentioned with the sound. So there are there is some testing that you're doing once you have an initial, <laughs> an initial a, piece of work. Once we have a final film. 
Okay. We'll test okay, cool. for improvement. And I guess like my little bit of kind of past experience on this is from an incredibly brilliant uh, marketing director, a guy called Andy Fennell, um, who I work with at um, Diageo, who was marketing director of um, Guinness. And if you remember quite a long time ago, gosh, I'm, I'm showing my age, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, um, uh, Guinness embarked on um, this campaign called Good Things Come to Those Who Wait. Um, I guess the most iconic um, ad in that series was, you know, the surfer waiting for the wave and the white horses. Am am amazing ad. 98, probably. Um, and I was sat in a meeting room um, for the first ad um, of that campaign, which was um, an ad called Swim Black, which was a guy who uh, did a swimming race every single year and his brother poured the Guinness more slowly every single year so he could always make it round the boy to get his Guinness in time. It's the worst ad I test I think I've ever seen. I think Miller Brown, who are now Cantar, I think they may have actually said that in the meeting that they're singularly the worst ad they've ever tested. Yeah, it was an ad that like grew sales by fifty percent, spawned some of the most creative uh, campaigns that Guinness has ever created. So a lot of what I think going back to what we said originally, which is like complaints can show you that your ad is really working. Sometimes like a very polarised response to ad testing means you, that you're onto something. Listen to the naysayers, not always the people who say that they really like it. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, I, uh, I think good marketing is a blend of art and science. And really the magic or the things that go well versus the things that don't tend to come down to how you mix those two things together. And when you decide to follow one, follow your intuition about an idea or follow the data about what customers or market research is actually saying. And, you know, there's, there's no, there's no answer that you can kind of package up and put in a box with a bow on it of like, you need to do this every time, because if you could, then there would be no value to creativity because everybody could do it. So I think it comes down to depending on where you are on the spectrum, like there's a lot of marketers that are way on the science side and maybe they need to get a little bit more comfortable with the art side and then there are some that are on the art that are on the art side and need to get a little bit more comfortable with the science side so i think it's about that awareness that self-awareness but also the organizational awareness some brands and some teams are more art than science and there's so much benefit in both especially now you mentioned um was it systems one the agent yeah i'm fascinated by the neuro marketing neuroscience space because we just understand so little about how the brain works overall, but then connecting it to marketing and perception and behavior change, there's so much that's gonna change, I think, over the next 10 years. And a lot of companies and a lot of technology is actually already out there. It's just not really distributed within most agencies or most brands. So we'll definitely include that in the show notes. Um, and I would highly recommend people spend a little bit of time just researching what's out there, even if you're not gonna use it right now, because there's a ton a ton to learn. Um, great. Abba, anything that you wanted to touch on that we didn't talk about today? Any other no, I just, I, thoughts or perspectives piece, to share? My one piece of advice, um, if you want to know whether you're on the art or science side as a marketing team, is count how many times your, your teams use the word content. Content isn't a thing. Uh, writers write books Editors create newspapers, filmmakers create movies, uh, TV producers create brilliant Netflix series. 
they're not talking about content. They're talking about stories that are going to inspire, delight, terrify, amaze, engage. Count how many times you say content and you'll know which side you're on. If you say, if your teams are saying it every day, you're a science-based marketing team and you've lost that idea of great storytelling. That said, equally, like if no one in your team is, th- is talking metrics and how well did this engage and, you know, then you've gone too far uh, the other way. But content is an interesting word. It's an interesting buzzword. Yeah, it's interesting. I I use the word content all the time. Um, and I'm not sure that, at least for me personally, that correlates to how much science I am. <clears throat> but what I think it does do, and something I'm going to take away from this conversation and definitely think about differently, is content is not a human like that's not about the real world impact that you're having i'm not saying this exactly the right way but i think you know what i mean like content is just the package of it all like what's inside how does it make people feel how does it get them thinking differently about your brand how does it get them behaving differently about your business and so i think the more that people can focus on whether it's through an art direction or a science direction actually the impact that they want to have the storytelling the emotional response the provocative nature of the ad, I think that we should all be trying to elevate how we think about what we do to that level. Yeah, I love what Adele's just done with Spotify. Not a big Adele fan musically, but the fact that she said, no, don't let people shuffle my album. It's beautifully and perfectly created as like two and a half hours of music that I want people to enjoy in the sequence I'm presenting it to them. The problem with data is that you're just going to keep on playing yeah. The most popular song, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. Cool. On that note, maybe we'll stitch in some Adele music for this outro. <laughs> Just kidding. My watch. Uh, we definitely <laughs> don't have the rights for that. Eva, thank you so much. It's always great to chat with you and hear your perspective on things. Where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing at Habitome? Uh Yeah, you can um, uh, follow us on Instagram, um, Habitome Mortgages. I'm on LinkedIn as um, Abba Newbury or Twitter as Peckham79. Okay. One of those is not like the other. (laughs) Great. Abba, thanks so much again. Talk soon. Thank you. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.